email, which is there. Done. Brilliant. So this is the Christmas 10X podcast. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, in today's episode on the podcast, our reflections on 2022 and predictions for 2023 for B2B marketing. I'm Paul Barlow, and these are conversations with B2B marketers and what truly matters to building scalable, sustainable, and substantial marketing growth. Today, we're turning the tables with a reverse interview with Sam Williams, who is normally the host for the series. Are you comfortable in the opposite side of the seats this time around, Sam? Uh, indeed, I am. I guess um, it's a good opportunity to um, school or be schooled by a be pro schooled. like yourself. Oh, God, that's a horrible thought. It's a terrible thought. As you know, it's all about conversations. So there's nothing to learn here that you don't know already. So it's super, super easy. Um, but I really like this concept of um, sort of end of year, throwing things up a little bit and, and looking back on the past year and sort of seeing what we can about the future. Um, how would you how would you summarize what 2022 has been like um, in terms of B2B marketing, even for yourself, like, like just what have you learned this year? Yeah, I, I guess it's an interesting time that we, like the Chinese <laughs> curse, we live in interesting times in relation to emerging from the pandemic. Uh, it's it's fair to say that the pandemic isn't over. Uh, however, all of us are still dealing with the effects of the pandemic. Like this week alone, I know of half a dozen people that have got COVID, you know, either again or for the first time. And it seems like we're going into some sort of uh, further wave. And I, it, it is kind of a strange new normal in terms of um, B2B marketing. You know, events are difficult to organize, as you probably oh, yeah. have, have some, yeah, have some I, sense I, of. I've been trying to work on a conference at the moment for a conference production um, client of mine. So this is what they do. Just getting people to sign up to something like this to speak is impossible at the moment. That People are a bit anxious about being in a small and close space with other people. Mm. And I guess uh, another dimension to it is a set of changed expectations of where people want to work and how they want yeah. to work. Um you know, the, there is definitely a concept of hybrid working. There are a lot of businesses talking about how they they just can't get staff to come back to the office. Uh, yeah, it, it feels a little bit like everyone's happy with how things are. I want to work from home. I can work in my track pants and, and my slippers and nobody's going to know that I'm not getting dressed up for work. But um, I, I believe that's also had a really good increase on our productivity levels as well. Yeah, you're not yeah. spending time in traffic. You're not spending time flapping around. You work when you need to work, and you're a bit better productivity. Productivity. In <laughs> in the end, you're much better off in terms of the productivity that you've that you're creating from it. All right. Yeah, <clears throat> I guess uh, you know, speaking personally, one of the things that there is is travel is not being that easy. Um, both in terms of uh, the cost of travel and from a business standpoint, there just doesn't seem to be quite the same impetus for people to travel. Uh, we've become accustomed to doing online meetings. 
so yeah, it, it's not quite it's not quite what it used to be in terms of expectations, and that that's what I'm alluding to there. This this eerie sense of a new normal. Um, it, it also feels like uh, this is the end of the beginning rather than the beginning of the end. Mm. Yeah, I, I see what you mean there. It's, I don't know, we've been dealing with the pandemic for a few years now. And, and so we've sort of evolved how we deal with it, how we see it and how we interact with it. Um, one of the things I've been very curious about is collaboration. It, it gives us new tools to be able to collaborate with other people. Um, in, in terms of a, a, a B2B sort of outlook, it's really, I think, opened up the doors a lot for people to be able to work on larger scales, across different borders, across different time zones a lot better. Um, I, I'm kind of curious, what, what are your perspectives on the new way of collaborating? Yeah, I, I guess it also comes down to some of these issues in terms of the traditional mix that there is in yeah. B2B marketing, like events and conferences and in-person activity. You know, Gone is necessarily the expectation that you can actually get bums on seats for a conference. But likewise, from the point of view of getting speakers for that, there's a real reluctance to travel and an expectation that, well, actually, I can do this remotely. You know, I can I can record a podcast, for instance, mm -hmm. with someone from the uh, east coast of the States quite comfortably, and it it's so much cheaper so much easier uh than having to fly somebody down you know to present for all of 30 minutes or or whatever the the time happens to be so i, I think that one of the effects of the pandemic and the improvements in the technology and the collaboration software is that people are just that much more comfortable collaborating remotely coming back to what you were saying earlier about people being more comfortable working from home. It's, it's kind of a twofold thing. You've got technology that has come some way as a result of the pandemic, and you've got our cultural attitudes that have shifted. And then there's kind of economic necessity. There's been a lot of talk recently about the, the sort of economic fall that's sort of expecting us coming up next year. Um, do you feel that that sort of had a play as well in how we've we've navigated 2022? Yeah, I mean, certainly um, both you and I have been subject to some of the economic headwinds mm -hmm. impacting you know, our professional lives. And I think that what you're seeing is some industries doing well, others which were inherently more vulnerable uh doing not so well so the war in the ukraine has obviously uh caused one wave of economic instability you've got um you know inflation causing issues in another way the rise in interest rates and the cost of your mortgage uh all playing out in in such a way that some industries are more vulnerable than others and I guess the thing about marketing, especially in the agency world, is that it's a services business. And typically, sorry, typically services businesses 
actually have a 90-day life cycle, meaning that you could very easily be out of business in 90 days because that's about as far as you can plan ahead in terms of revenues. You know, that's different to technology businesses that have recurring revenue streams, you know, that, that have a much clearer line of sight how they'll make money on an ongoing basis. Um, but if I think about those industries that are likely to be doing better going forward, uh, one of the things that seems to be coming to the fore at the moment is sustainability. Mm -hmm. And the rise of sustainability as being a major business imperative for large organizations, medium-sized organizations, and small. So what, what I've noticed this year is that large enterprises have, not suddenly, but certainly noticeably, uh, got a lot more serious about sustainability you know, with the appointment of chief sustainability officers and the like, or their ilk. So I think from an industry standpoint, um, there is a real emphasis now starting to be placed on getting to net zero carbon emissions. You know, mm -hmm. New Zealand, as an example, has legislated for that for 2050. You're likely to see legislation in Australia uh, to a similar sort of level. And you're seeing a lot of um, uh, public-private partnership that's driving uh, this, this drive to net zero. So if there was a hot market, especially around uh, marketing communications and demand generation, it's going to be in the space of sustainability, in in my opinion. Do you think there's a bit of education that's going to have to go into that as well, just around what sustainability means now versus what our sort of perceptions of it were five years ago, ten years ago, what what, what it means for for the industry you're advertising or the industry that you're working with? Yeah, it's it's definitely that's the case. Um, one of the things is that you're you're still at one level dealing with skeptics and um, mercenaries in it. I, I think that for many years, there's been a lot of skepticism as to how meaningful is this to my bottom line in a business and trying to attract uh, old school, i.e. people over 40, digital immigrants. Into no comment. The, <laughs> into the idea that this is actually a good thing um, for the long-term prosperity of an organization versus short-term return to shareholders and profitability. That's, that's a shift that I notice has taken place. But to your point around education, the, I think the thing that we as marketers have to do is show these skeptics a path to the numbers. That if you yeah. can make money from sustainability and then it's ultimately in your financial interests, then that's kind of the, the breakthrough messaging that needs to come through um, this year. Well, 
I don't mean this year, I mean next year. So. Yeah. Well, let's talk about next year, because obviously it's not that far away now, depending on when people are listening to this. Um, with economic shockwaves, public health issues, effects on information warfare, like Twitter, for example, at the moment, um, there's sort of a low-level anxiety out there with people um, who just aren't certain with what, what happens next. Um, do you think there's something that we could do as marketers to help with that? Is there a way that, is there a toolkit that we need to develop for sort of this post-truth world that we live in? Yeah, I, I guess in terms of the conditions in which we will be operating, it's important to realize that there will be these continued economic shockwaves and it is different to what has gone before. So, you know, one of the things that's different about uh, our recession as it's being predicted at the moment is that we're still looking at very high levels of employment or low levels of unemployment, mm -hmm. which is, is the bellwether, if you like, for people's sense of prosperity. And, you know, every other sign that there is out there economically from inflation to, um, you know, the cost of living crisis is uh, saying that there are, that the worst is in front of us. Yet the one indicator that is uh, the thing that's most important is whether people have jobs mm -hmm. and every Western country or first world country at the moment is uh, struggling to fill all of the roles that are available. So we haven't seen the contraction in the economy uh, in the same way as you would expect. You kind of have um, along with that uh, the, the weirdness of what's going on with Twitter Mm. And uh, I know we were talking earlier about Elon Musk um, taking it over, and it's and it's almost like um, Tony Stark from Iron Man has has got his hands on a nuclear weapon in the form of a disinformation platform or a misinformation uh, platform that could do significant damage to the fabric of society. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing how powerful one platform feels like it's become. Well, in practical terms, you know, one of the uh, tactics that you had in digital advertising as a B2B marketer was Twitter. You know, between Twitter and yeah. LinkedIn, these were considered to be the two places that you would actually um, put your advertising dollars. And you've seen a wholesale withdrawal from Twitter as an advertising uh, medium for B2B marketers. And as I look at the budgets for next year and thinking about digital advertising, the uncertainty, if you like, about the future and nature of what Twitter is going to become is uh, causing me to think twice about where I want to put any advertising dollars in that space. Who wants to be advertising on a train wreck? <laughs> yeah. D does it give you more reason to sort of pause over maybe a little bit newer, but emerging content platforms like TikTok? Yes, is the short answer to that. I think, 
you know, we've already seen uh, a reordering and, and evolution of B2B marketing uh, in response to a more diverse marketplace. And this kind of comes down to the rise of the digital natives versus the, the sunset of the digital immigrants. Uh, you and I both fitting into that category. <laughs> um, it, where, uh, you know, you've seen uh, this younger generation embrace, uh, you know, first it was YouTube. I, I guess there's a race between YouTube and Facebook, <laughs> but um, let's say YouTube, then Instagram, and subsequently TikTok and, you know, Snapchat's in there somewhere. I think that B2B marketers have been behind the curve in terms of understanding the power of YouTube in particular mm -hmm. as a niche uh, video advertising medium. You know, you and I and, and the team from our previous uh, organization discovered the power of um advertising on YouTube to TV screens. This happened to be an experiment that we ran in the UK, and we were very surprised at the cut-through that we were getting, that we were effectively doing TV advertising via YouTube in a highly targeted... Yeah, highly targeted mm. net fraction of the cost. Yeah. So that's one of the big opportunities that I see going into um, 2023, I think you've also had some experience around TikTok, but at the beginning of this year, you would never have thought that you'd be TikTok famous. No, it, it's one of those things where it, yeah, it's a platform that's there in the background and you kind of, I, I felt I had to wait until it had proven itself before I would consider using it, especially as a marketing tool. As an information tool, it's certainly as effective as Instagram was three or four years ago. It's in fact, I've just started a contract where I really specifically requested TikTok to hit a certain market. And the organization is an old organization dealing with public funds, and it was an instant no, not we're not touching it kind of thing. It's quite fascinating to sort of see those shifting attitudes, though. They have a TikTok account, they don't want to use it, versus no, I'm not having a TikTok account at all, versus it's just like Instagram, so I'm going to use it that way. It, it, it's a really interesting sort of evolution to watch at the moment. Yeah. And I guess Instagram is obviously the other. So, you know, yeah. as we talk about this, the algorithm wars, as I uh, describe them, or the video wars that are basically playing out between YouTube, uh, Facebook slash Instagram, i.e. Meta, and TikTok are going to have very real and direct impact on B2B marketing in 2023. So the, the short answer around that is if you're not on these channels, if you're not thinking about how you can leverage these channels, you're missing a beat in terms of what's possible to extend your reach and evolve your marketing in, in 2023. So in the other thing I think we're likely to see is a rise in ecosystems. And I've noticed it's something that every platform is building their own at the moment. You can build your own community. You can build your own marketplace. Um, how much is that going to play into to what we see over the next 12 months? I think the interesting thing of, 
around this is that the pandemic has, in, in the same way as the pandemic has enabled us to find new ways to collaborate, one of those new forms of collaboration is an ecosystem approach to solving business problems. The other thread there is sustainability or the race to net zero carbon emissions is very much something that affects everyone uh, in, in society. So by its very nature of the very nature of the problem that we are collectively trying to solve, it's driving a new business model in terms of collaboration to solve that business problem together, collaboratively. And that's also spurning or, or spinning out new forms of community based around special interest groups. And that's something else that we've, um, that I think is going to uh, be a big part of what 2023 is about. And you couple the ecosystems built around collaboration, the communities that are being built up around special interests. And the other thing that flows from that is the creation of marketplaces. Mm -hmm. So if you think about farmers markets and what they are a response to, you know, it's about sustainable farm to fork food, educating people about how food is produced, but providing an experience for people going along to those farmers markets so that they can actually talk to the, the fresh produce vendors and the, the artisan bakers and the artisan cheese makers, uh, you're going to see a similar sort of business model emerge for and around sustainability as mm -hmm. we coalesce around this shared imperative. So. I think niche communities is something that we, we've known about for a while and for a lot of people, it's sort of also been sidelined. It's not something that they pay attention to until it's right in their face. I think 2023 is the year that we see them break out, become a lot more mainstream. Yeah, and I guess this is something that, again, you and I have worked on and, you know, looking at the evolution of uh, technologies there and the, the platforms to enable this, you know, with the almost the demise of Facebook and Facebook groups, as being you know difficult to uh, manage police control uh, and the fact that you don't have control of your own data on Facebook, you've seen the emergence of competing niche community platforms like Honeycomb. Uh, this is not a, a paid <laughs> endorsement of Honeycomb, but it's a good example mm -hmm. of... Uh, a private niche community uh, platform that's enabling uh, these ecosystems and communities and marketplaces to come together. And because I'm aware that we're, we're sort of running out of time, I have one last question for you. Um, how big a deal is podcasts going to be for next year? Well, I, I could answer that by saying, you tell me. Um, but uh, it's... <laughs> Huge, I, huge. <laughs> um, look, I think uh, podcasts have been 
the underrated or, or uh, underdog in terms of marketing communications. As you know, every man and their dog started a um, podcast and during the pandemic, and some of the initial enthusiasm has fallen away. <laughs> now, now what you're starting to see uh, are the real serious people realizing the value of this medium for not only connecting and building an audience, but also enabling the content to be produced. Because as content producers, you and I, we understand some of the challenges that there are around getting people on camera. Yeah. Uh, and and you kind of contrast that with a podcast production. Maybe you want to pick up on that. Yeah, so people are still anxious in front of a microphone, but it doesn't come across quite as obvious because they can't see themselves. They don't see themselves on screen. They're a bit self-conscious when it comes to dealing with that sort of thing. And I think it's really hard to break people out of that. But as soon as people settle into the process and the rhythm, everything settles down. And I think we are at a point now where podcasts are such an everyday thing that people aren't too stressed about it. It's not like being on television where, you know, it's still kind of a special thing because of the way that television works. Podcasts, anybody can have one. Everybody knows somebody who works on a podcast or who has a podcast. So it demystifies the process a bit, but also allows us, I think, an opportunity to see podcasts more as a niche tool than, or a community creation tool around a specific niche than something generalized that only somebody special can use or somebody who has really set skills can use. So I, I think podcasts are actually going to be one of those tools that we see grow exponentially over the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah. And I think that's the key consideration there is that it's much easier to listen to something than it is to watch something from the yes. point of view of getting people's attention. That, you know, podcast is something that people can listen to while they're doing something else. Yeah. Whereas uh, watching can be you know, more of a suck on people's attention. Yes. So. You know, I, mean, I, I foolishly signed up for a gym membership today. I'm going to need to download some podcasts for while I'm, I'm sitting there <laughs> doing whatever it is people do at gyms. So it, it's one of those things that super easy, super laid back, listen to it on the bus while you're traveling at the gym, out walking the dog. It's perfect. Sam, thank you very much. Well, festive greetings to yes. everyone out there. And um, yeah, it's been a great year. And I'm looking forward to doing some extraordinary 10x type of things in 2023. Oh, there's some very exciting stuff on the books for 10x. It, it's got a lot of potential there. People are going to love it. It's going to be amazing. Well, actually, with this podcast, we'll be launching our new website. So go to... 10x.marketing. The link Perfect. will be down below. Perfect. Thank you very much, Sam. Have a great Christmas and New Year. Don't work too hard during the holidays. Try not to work no, too my... hard during the holidays. <laughs> Maruru, as they say in Tahiti. Maruru. <laughs> Done. Right, Luke, you can stop recording now. <laughs>